Father, we thank you for this, this day that you have made for us to rejoice and be glad in. Uh, we'd like to lift up Jason's parents as they're battling this uh, virus. And Lord, thank you for the help that you've already given. And we ask you would continue to strengthen and heal in a way that brings you glory and not man. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your word and the ability to pour into the children next door. Please, Lord, may your grace be with Jason and everyone over there. Uh, bring the children to yourself. Show them how beautiful you are. And Lord, give us grace now as we open up your word and answer the questions of the hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So have one question thus far, and as I said to, uh, to Reese, it's a bit of a doozy, and it's, in one sense, you'll say, what's so special about that question? It's pretty ordinary, but as we get into it, I think you'll see. So the question has to do with correcting one another in the church. Uh, it is something that we all know we're supposed to do, but... If we're honest, we would say it can be difficult to do, right? So we want to you know, think about, well, why is it difficult? How does God's Word tell us to do these things? And let's challenge ourselves to see if we are hindering the, uh, the need to correct and be corrected in the church by our response or our mindset about it. So, first thing I thought would be helpful to do is to talk about the Bible's um, commands and even the benefits of just doing this thing itself. And where would we go in the Bible for the greatest amount of verses dealing with correcting, being corrected, and the benefits of it? What, what book would y'all say? Colossians. Uh, Colossians. I want to say something else? Matthew? Hebrews? Proverbs is where I was thinking. Now, so just think about that. Everyone had a different book, which means this is all over the Bible. So you're not wrong. But the, uh, the, yes, the place that I was thinking is, is going to be in the, the wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. But Proverbs really emphasizes this again and again. So... Turn to Proverbs and start with verse 9. I'm sorry, chapter 9. Proverbs 9. And verses 8 and 9. If someone would read that, Proverbs 9, 8 through 9. I can uh, read it on the NIV version. It's perfectly fine. So here's the, one of the benefits of being corrected is you will become wiser. I mean, who doesn't want to become wiser, right? I mean, this is a, a good thing. Uh, if you 
teach a righteous man or a righteous woman, they will increase in learning. We all need to be taught. None of us know everything. We all have room to grow. And so here the, the, the proverb is giving us the benefits. You want to become more wise. You want to increase in your learning. The way to do that, according to these verses, is to be corrected by someone else. Sometimes you'll be the one doing the correcting, and sometimes you'll be the one, what, being corrected. And then we're doing this as a church. We're all growing. We're all learning. We're all becoming wiser. There's benefits to it. Uh, Proverbs 10, 17. Okay, so now we're given the, 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 the do's and the don'ts, the benefit and the, uh, the danger of not taking correction or taking it. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, the path to life. But who rejects the correction, not only are you not on the path to life, but you actually will lead others astray. How would you lead others astray by rejecting correction? Yeah, others will follow you. You have influence with other people. And if you are going in error, if you're doing something not according to God's word, because this is the standard that we're, you know, any correction, if it's not from this place and leading to this truth, then we are not walking according to wisdom and truth and, and holiness. So if we are not walking according to this and we have influence on others and we're telling them things and we're teaching them things and we're being an example either in our life or our lips, like we talked about last week, we could actually be leading other people astray. This is why the scripture would say, let not many of you become teachers, right? There's a huge responsibility, but that's an official capacity. In another sense, everyone in the church is teaching and being taught. So we're given that as well. Uh, Proverbs 12, 1. This is a, uh, the Lord pulls no punches with this verse. Uh, Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> I mean, we tell our children, we don't want you saying that, but okay, they got to say it if they read the Bible, right? Um, Okay, if, if you hate correction, you're stupid. That doesn't need any explanation. I mean, that's, wow. You can't say it any stronger than that. And this is the Spirit of God leading the man of God to write the Word of God. And this is what he chose to say. This is such an important factor. If you love discipline, you love knowledge. If you hate correction, you're stupid. None of us want to be stupid. Right? I know I don't. And yet, as we're going over these verses and we can look at the benefits and we can agree that there's danger, there is an element where we don't like to correct people and we don't like to be corrected. But we don't want to be stupid and we don't want to lead others astray and we don't want to go towards destruction. So thankfully, God has given us everything we need to walk in this as we should. Uh, some more verses. Proverbs 15, I'm trying to go in the order here. Uh, Proverbs 15, 31 through 32. Do you listen to constructive criticism? You will be at home among the wise. 
you reject criticism, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Again, that's so perfectly put. It really doesn't need much expounding. But there is this statement. I remember Pastor Tim would say this often. Um, you know, when you gain wisdom, and he's quoting the proverb, when you gain wisdom, you benefit yourself. When you don't, you harm yourself. Now, we can lead others astray. And, you know, as the head of my family, if I'm walking in foolishness and not in wisdom, then my wife and my children suffer. As the pastor of the church, the same thing. If I'm not walking in wisdom, the whole church suffers. And there's a reality that what we do affects others. But there's also the reality that what I do affects me and what you do affects you. And if you don't gain the wisdom, you are harming yourself. You are going to face the consequences or face the benefits of wisdom. And that comes, according to the scripture, through correction from others. And sometimes you will be doing the correcting and sometimes you will be the one needing to be corrected. Okay, two more from Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 10 and... Well, yeah. Proverbs 17, 10. Wow. So you can punch somebody or whip someone because they would, you know, we, uh, oh, Chris, yeah, when you were taking us through Acts, talking about these lashes that the apostles faced, the 39, right, 40 minus 1, uh, these blows for not doing what the law told you to do. And they said that you could get those 39 lashes multiply until you have a hundred and it still would not get to the mind. It wouldn't get to the heart. But if you're a man of understanding, all you need is a correction. Some people you can beat them and, you know, parents, right? You can spank, 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 and you're, like, you're still not getting it. But there are others, all you have to do is tell them. And you might just need to tell them once. And it's like, I got it. And we want to be that one, right? We don't want to be the one that has to keep getting knocked upside the head. You keep repeating it. You're wandering in the wilderness. Oh, here we go again. Another round. Why? Because we're not getting it. We don't want to be that person. We don't want to be the one that the Lord has to say, all right, I tried the easy way. Now I'm about to bring out the, the difficulty. It's better to be wise and receive the correction and hear it. It's better to be that way than the other. All right, uh, just for the sake of time, and I think we get the point. One more. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. Open rebuke is better than love carefully conceals. Faithful are the words of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, I'm thinking you... You meant wounds? Does it say words or wounds? Faithful are the words of a friend or wounds? Okay. Now, words too, right? I mean, if your friend is faithful, he's giving you good words. But those words can hurt, 
Right? When someone comes to you and says, you're not doing what God's word says to do, it can hurt. When someone set, comes to you and says, there's a better way, and it's God's way. Like Paul said, I will show you a more excellent way, which is the way of love. And when we're not walking in love, when we're not operating according to love, when we're not doing what is healthy or helpful um, or holy, more importantly, uh, that's not good. And when someone comes to us with that, then though it may sting and though it may hurt, it's for our good. And the last one I'll say, Psalm 141, verse 5. Uh, David says, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. It doesn't mean literally strike him. Here again is this idea of correction. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. And then he says this, let my head not refuse it, which is our tendency I don't want it. I don't like it. I like the benefit. I like the result. But I don't like the, the uncomfortable, difficult, having to change, having to be confronted with my flaws. And we don't like that. We recoil from it. But here the Bible says, it's oil for my head. And in the heat, and we know about Texas heat, the scalp would become dry and cracked and it would hurt and get raw and all of that. And so... They would put oil on top of the head and it would be a soothing balm in the midst of the difficulty of that heat. And that's what he was saying, that the rebuke and the, uh, the words, the correction of a righteous person is going to be like oil on the head. Okay, so we clearly see this is a good thing to do and to have done. So why is it that we maybe don't do it as much or we don't do it as well or we recoil from it? Why has it become difficult? And I believe it has everything to do with what Jesus preached in Matthew 7, 1 through 6. So let's go there and receive instruction from our Lord about how to do this because this is telling us to do it. He's telling us the benefits of doing it and the harm of not doing it. But it doesn't actually give us the way. And the way is found from our Lord as he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what is this saying? What is this judgment? Of course, the world loves this, right? Not supposed to judge. Don't judge. Why not? Judging is wrong. Well, isn't that a judgment? <laughs> Aren't you judging me by not? So clearly this is not saying that. We all have to judge. It's impossible. to. If you don't judge, you will drink spoiled milk and eat rotten meat. You have to judge. You have to judge when it's time to drive and when it's time to stop. You have to judge who you talk to, who's dangerous, safety. We're always making judgments. What is this judgment? This is the judgment that pronounces final condemnation on someone. This is the judgment that believes I can look into your heart and say why you did it. I tell you why you did this, why you said that. I don't know that. Only God does. Only God can look into the soul, look into the heart, discern the mind, the thoughts, the secret things. That's God's territory. 
And I can be absolutely wrong about your motive for why you did something. But if I believe I can look into your soul and say you did this with evil intention and therefore you are condemned forever and there's no hope for you, I'm putting myself in the place of who? God. Only God sits on the throne and makes the final judgment. He holds the gavel. He slams it and says, case closed. I don't have that ability and neither do you. But this is what people were doing. And this is what we have a tendency to do if we're not careful. We can read into people's motives. We can put ourselves in the place of God and begin to condemn people and say, this is you. You have no hope. This is what you are. This is what you'll always be. This is be, be careful. This is condemned. This is only for God to do. It's not for us. And if we're not careful, we're given a warning here. When you judge others by that strict, strong, heart-seeking, believing, I can see your motive type of measurement, that's exactly what you're going to face on Judgment Day. If you want to believe that you're in the place of God and you hold people to this such a high and there's no mercy and there's no grace and there's no compassion, there's no understanding, it's your way or the highway, remember you will stand before the true judge and he will give you what is coming. You don't want to be in that place. So God, the Lord Jesus, he gives us the warning. Don't do it this way. But then he tells us how to do it. And this is the beautiful thing about the Lord, right? He doesn't just give us a bunch of don'ts. He tells us what to do and how to do it and the heart to do it with. So here it is. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? That's our problem. We see what's wrong with others before we see what's wrong with ourselves. And again, notice the language there. Speck, log. One is very big and one is very small. Now, Jesus doesn't give us scenarios. He just calls whatever is in their eye a speck and whatever is in my eye a log. And whoever's reading this, it's always your eye has the log and their eye has the speck. So when you are going to correct someone, you have to first have not this kind of mindset where I don't see the speck and I don't see the log as it's supposed to be. So first is just noticing it. And this notice is not like a, a, a glance over. It's paying attention. It's investigating. It's looking deeply. It's I'm seeing, I'm watching, I'm carefully observing your life and your actions. And I'm making all kinds of uh, conclusions about it. But I'm not paying any attention to what's going on in my own heart. I'm not paying any attention about what's going on in my own life. I'm not paying any attention about what I do before God. But it's not just noticing. It's also now you're going to do something about it. Now I'm going to correct you. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out? So one is just noticing and now it moves up a step. Now I'm going to seek to correct this thing. I see it. I've observed it. I've watched it. I say that it's wrong. Not taking my own thoughts and my own actions and my own heart into consideration. Now I'm going to do something about it. Now I'm going to approach you. Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. That's the wrong way. 
What's the right way, Lord? First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. How do we do this? And what does it even mean? I mean, this person has done some grievous sin. I haven't done that. How do they have a speck and I have a log? How is that right? How is that fair? Well, I mean, what kind of scale is this on? Lord, what, what are you saying here? Well, going back up to the first statements, remember, who is our ultimate judge? God is. So who, who are we being measured against? I'm not being measured against you, and you're not being measured against me. I'm being measured against him who is holy, holy, holy. And compared to Christ, all that I am and all that I do is a log. And if I don't realize that before God, I am flawed, if I don't realize before God, I have made errors, even as I stand before the Lord, I don't love him as I should, and I don't love others as I should. The point of this is, Seeing the log in my own eye is supposed to humble me. See, it's very different if I come to you and I'm like, how could you do this? What's wrong with you? That's a very different approach than, can we talk? What's, what, what, what takes all the bass out of my voice? <laughs> Standing before the holy God to whom I must give account who sees everything that I am and everything that I've done, who sees my motives. He does know my heart, and before him I stand. And when I'm mindful of that, oh, I'm going to approach you much differently. But if I don't see myself before God, and I see myself as God, and I see you as the worst sinner in the room, then I'm going to come to you in that way. And how many of you want to be approached that way? How many of you like when someone is extremely critical of everything you say and everything you do and they're watching this and they have something to say about how you raise your kids and how you are with your spouse and you should be doing this with your money and look at this and look at that. And they have all of these criticisms for every area of your life as though they're perfect. Is that easy to receive correction from such a person? No. But the sad thing is that we can come off that way. We can be that way. So the way that we're supposed to correct people is mindful of myself before God. You are mindful of yourself before God. You're mindful of what you deserve, which is wrath. You're mindful of what you receive, which is mercy. You're mindful of why you are not doing what that person is doing. Why are you not in their shoes. One word. Grace. And who can boast about the grace of God? That's a gift. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. The only reason I'm not talking the way you talk or messing up the way you're messing up is not because I'm so smart or I'm so holy or I'm so great. It's God's grace to me. And when I'm mindful of God's grace to me, I'm mindful of what I deserve and where I should be. I'm mindful of the kindness of God, his compassion, the patience. How patient has God been with you? I mean, think about it, right? How often as a Christian, forget about before you were a Christian, that alone should be enough to humble us. But as a Christian, 
How patient has he been? How long-suffering? Even when you mess up, haven't you found that those are some of the times when he's the most tender, when he's the most gentle with you, when he comes to you and he doesn't come with lightning bolts and the earthquake, but in a, as, you know, lies with a still small voice, right? He comes in a gentleness and you say, I thought you would have blasted me, but instead you discipline me with love and compassion, and God's patience, His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. When that is on your mind, and you see someone else sin, you're going to approach them very differently. You're going to correct them very differently. And that is typically going to be well received. But there are some people even if you're gracious and compassionate and patient and merciful and mindful of your sin, they are still going to reject it and recoil. And therefore, we have the next words of our Lord, do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. There are some people, no matter how godly you are, think of Jesus the most godly man who ever walked the face of the earth, God in flesh, and he would come to people with love in his heart to correct them, to bring them to the Lord, and they still didn't want to hear what he had to say. They were unmoved. Of course, those were lost people, um, but you get the point, right? There are those who, no matter how gentle your approach, they're still not going to hear you. So the questions to be asking yourself as I ask myself is this. Are you overly critical of people? Are you always seeing what's wrong with others, but you don't really see what's wrong with yourself? You're always pointing out what's wrong with others and people can never get it right. People can never do enough. You spend most of your time thinking about what's wrong with other people. In your conversations with people, it's always negative, and this person doesn't do this, and this person doesn't do that. Or, turn to Galatians 6. Is this your heart? Is this your mindset? Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, notice it says any. That's a strong statement, right? Any transgression, any sin. You who are spiritual. And what does he mean by spiritual? Well, he just defined that earlier by those who don't live according to the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit. Those who have the fruit of the spirit, who have the fruit of the spirit, believers, believers, Christians. These are God's people. If anyone is caught in any transgressions, those people who truly bear the fruit of the spirit first being love. What are you supposed to do? Should restore him. How? In a spirit of what? Gentleness. How can you be gentle when someone has committed such a transgression? It goes back to Matthew 7. I'm mindful before God of what I am. In fact, this goes there. Keep watch on yourself, lest what? You too be tempted. It's the grace of God that you haven't done what they did. That's it. 
and everything that you have already done, you deserve the worst portion of hell. And instead, here you are receiving grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and kindness. So this is for us when we're approaching others. Now a brief word to those of us as we're being approached. Here's what we have to do. We have to cling to the promises that we looked at in Proverbs. Even if someone doesn't come as they should, what is our responsibility? We have a responsibility to come in the right way, but what if someone doesn't come to us in the right way? What if they're bringing the word of God to us, but they're not bringing it in a spirit of gentleness? They're not bringing it in a spirit of compassion. They're not even thinking about their own log. All they're doing is pointing at you. Then what do you do? Do we have permission to say, I will not obey you, Lord, until they do? That's hard, right? (laughs) Because what do we want to do? We want to say, but what about you? And isn't that violating the very teaching of our Lord? Look at you first. No, all right, you know what? They're not coming as they should. And they are going to have to answer to God for that. But is anything that they're saying true? Is there anything that they're saying right? They're coming in the wrong way, and there'll be time to deal with that. But right now, they're giving me instruction. They're giving me correction, and what they're saying is true. And you know what? That's what makes it sting even more. Because it's like, ah, it's bad enough what you're saying is true. You're coming at me all ungodly and unloving. So now I have to deal with not just what you're saying, but the way you're saying it. And brothers and sisters, doesn't the Bible have something to say about not putting stumbling blocks in front of others? So, brothers and sisters, let us be the kind of people of Matthew 7 who comes already removing our log so we can see clearly in the clear eye sees it is grace and grace alone that we are where we are. And it is the mercy and compassion and patience and love of God to us. That's clear view when we come to approach others in correction. Yes, ma'am. Well, I would say that sin needs to be confronted. But the scripture says, again, you know, the, the, the immediate context of Matthew 7, 6 is unbelievers, right? Dogs and pigs. The point of that is they're not going to hear you. So you're taking God's holy word and saying, look, you're not obeying it. You're coming in a way that's unloving. But if they are wrapped up in their sin, they're not thinking wisely, they're not thinking biblically, they're, they're not open to reason, then you will find yourself not only wasting your words, but being trampled as you seek to give them help. And I think anyone who has sought to do that, you find that to be the case, right? Someone's coming to you, and they're bringing correction, and you're like, well, can we first address the way you're coming to me? And what does it do? 
gasoline. Oh, you don't want to pay attention. Okay. All right. So what does wisdom say? Wisdom says that needs to be dealt with. And what is the wisest way? Let me be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Now, again, this is not law. This is not, you know, there's no case where, depending on the situation, it may be absolutely right to say, look, we're not going to talk about anything unless we can talk. We both need to operate under the word of God. And right now you're not doing that. So I think it would depend on who you're talking to, what the situation is and how. um, How animated they are, how aggravated they are. Uh, The proverb says something about. Do not, do not, how is it, uh, do not correct a fool lest you become like him. And then, yeah, so, so again, no, no, that's right. So this, this is the whole thing. What we have to be able to see through is, and this is why this is very important, are they bringing God's word to you? Is what they're bringing to you accurate? If they're reading into your motives and they're reading into your thoughts, you don't have a place to do that. That's God's place, right? But you also don't even have to respond to it. I mean, people can talk. I don't mean to be in any way belittling, but children throw temper tantrums all the time. And some adults do the same thing. So a temper tantrum... um, is when they're going off and they're doing all of this and they're not, they're not being reasonable, they're not being rational. More importantly, they're not being biblical. The best thing to do may be to just say, okay. And then you go about your business. Paul could say, I know nothing against myself. You may be bringing stuff to me, but I have already searched my heart. I, my conscience is clear. I haven't done anything. You're not bringing me the word. You're bringing me your preference. You're bringing me your opinion. You're not bringing me any scripture. And on top of that, you're not even bringing it in a godly way. So nothing you're saying is really penetrating here. But if they're saying something that's accurate and genuine and biblical, then if you can, by God's grace, push the bushes aside to hear God correcting you through his word. You know, David, when he was being mocked by, uh, what was that guy's name? Shimei, right? Shimei's all up and down saying, man of blood and all this stuff. And his, David's mighty men said, let me go take that man's head off. And what did David say? Nah, you know, maybe what he's saying is, is true. Maybe the Lord will see how I'm responding to this and he'll have mercy on me. But leave him alone. And sometimes that's what we need to do. Just, all right, you know what? I hear you. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the very fact that you're able to not act like they're acting is God's grace to you in the moment. And you can be thankful like, whoa, 
I used to be that way. Or that's, I could be that way if I'm not careful. Yes, ma'am. Well, or going and the response isn't, you know, we're dealing with brothers and sisters. Right. And so, and that's, apparently I didn't communicate it clearly. The, the, the real focus here is within the church. Mm-hmm. And the context of what Jesus is saying about dogs and, and pigs, he's talking about unbelievers who don't want to hear the gospel. And he says, don't preach the gospel to them then. But the principle is there in the Proverbs that, you know, if you come to a fool in his folly and you seek to correct him, you may end up becoming like him because you came patient, they were impatient, and now both of you are impatient, right? So there may be a time, even in the, so that really the, the, this is for Christians correcting Christians. Absolutely. <laughs> for those who didn't hear Christians can be fools? Yes, we can be fools. But in fact, what did Paul say? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Uh, yes, walking according to wisdom is walking according to the word of God. And if there's ever a time, Christian, where you're not walking according to the word of God, the proverb says you are walking in foolishness. You're operating in foolishness. We're not being wise. And if you're not being wise, you're being a fool. Uh, so, yes, absolutely, there are, there's that reality. I'm sorry, was there a follow-up? If you say, you're going to go to hell, but what if they repent? What... Right. So it, we, so to make a final statement, you're going to hell, period. Well, I'm not God. If you continue, if you don't repent, you will perish. Right. So that is because the Lord could save them in that conversation. And now what you said is, is not true. You're not going to hell. You're going to heaven now. I was talking to uh, we had some kids spend the night and one of the little boys, he had three crosses on his shirt. I said, do you know why you got three crosses? I was telling him about these two thieves, right, these two robbers. And uh, how one of them, just like that, one moment he's headed for hell, the next moment he's going to paradise. And that's, things can change that quick. So, yes, we tell people when we preach the gospel to them, like John 3.16, right? Those who believe will not perish. And the implication is if you don't believe, you will perish. So we always leave people with hope if you don't destruction. Uh, right now, the wrath of God is abiding upon you, but be of good cheer. There's mercy. Run to Christ. Um, yeah. So when you're saying what God says, again, you're quoting God's word. You're not putting yourself in the place of judge. God is the judge, and you're quoting what God says. But what we do is we put ourselves in the place of judge, and we make final pronouncements on people. And we do that with these absolute statements, you know, like, you're never going to be, or you're always, and like, always, never? Um, even Paul could find something good to say about the Corinthians. Like, you can't say nothing good about me. Um, but again, these are the types of mindsets that make correction very difficult to receive. And if we are, it, 
What is the purpose of the correction? It's a really good motive. So, uh, uh, rather, let me rephrase it. Sorry, I didn't phrase that well. Let me ask myself the question, why am I approaching you in the first place? Why am I coming to you to correct you? If I'm coming to you to correct you because what you do annoys me, that's going to find itself playing out. The proof of it is going to be in the pudding. If I'm approaching you because you don't do stuff the way I would do it, it's going to be seen. But if I'm approaching you because I love you, if I'm approaching you because I love God and I want you to be as close to God as possible, it's going to show. The motive for why we come to each other, and husbands and wives, this is us, right? We right here, parents, you're correcting your children. And in the life of the church, brothers and sisters, we're constantly having to be around each other. And the closer we are, the more dirt we're going to see. The local church is a place where we are supposed to be vulnerable with each other. But if we feel like, well, I can't correct him because he's going to bark at me. I can't correct her because she's going to turn it around and make it about me. So I'm just going to be quiet. And if we have that kind of atmosphere, none of us are going to do well. So I have to, I have to and you have to individually say, I don't want to be the kind of person who can't be corrected. And I'm saying this as your pastor, I'm your brother first. You see something in my life, come to me. You see something in the way that I treat my wife or my children, you see something inconsistent, come to me. I don't have a special status of uncorrectable. My family doesn't have a special status of uncorrectable. We are all under the, the banner of the scripture. But all of us have to have this mindset of, I know I'm not perfect. I know I have room to grow. I know I need to be corrected, and I want to be the kind of person who's easy to correct. I want to be the kind of person who's easy to approach. I want to be the kind of person who welcomes criticism. Constructive, right? Not putting me down. And if we could be that kind of person, and then we can also be the kind of person who approaches people with this gentleness that Galatians 6 talks about, imagine how much we could grow. Then we can all say, like David say, let a, let a righteous man rebuke me. It's like oil. It's soothing. It's good. It's nice. It's pleasant. Yeah. But if our motive is wrong and our motive is selfish and preference and I just don't like this about you, then it's just going to be World War III in here. That was it. That was the period. Yes. No, you're fine. Excellent. Sure. So, excellent. So, what is the context of 1 Corinthians 5? Church discipline. There's the judgment. They're not even a part of the church. So, in every church, there's going to be believers and unbelievers. Unbelievers are in the church and they're sinning. We're not supposed to be casting judgment on them saying, hey, you're out of here. They're lost. (laughs) Like, that's not our place to do. 
the believers, who, people who claim to be a brother but lives a life of sexual immorality or greed or idolatry, that's the one that we're supposed to follow the process of Matthew 18, seek to call them to repent. They won't repent. You bring one or two more. They won't repent. You tell it to the church. The whole church goes after them. They still won't repent. Now we make a judgment. Okay. And where two or three are gathered, there the Lord is in our midst, and he affirms what we affirm, and they are put out. They're cast out to Satan. That's the context of that judgment. It's not we're not supposed to tell unbelievers they're wrong, because we could never preach the gospel to anybody, right? I mean, it, that would make Jesus contradicting himself, and Jesus never did that. We're not to make these final judgments. The Lord does that, and we're not supposed to be practicing church discipline on unbelievers, does that help? Did I? You haven't asked one yet. No, no, no. Oh. I, I have the second question if you get to that. Oh, okay. Not, not this topic. Okay. This is one of the topics. Um, I was wondering, is there, are there any verses in the text that uh, like, talk about allowing the Spirit to guide you in confronting someone or not? Did you have? I'm thinking of the, when, when, when Jesus told his disciples, uh, when they bring you before kings and, and chiefs, and do not worry about what you say, but the Holy Spirit will guide you. But that's not what it's like one of those, those times of like letting the Spirit speak through you at the right time. Um, more like, you know, like how when Jesus, when he first came and he would heal people, and he'd be like, don't tell anybody that I did this. Yeah, with, with the example there, it's uh, the, the Lord was waiting on his father's timing to reveal that, and uh, it was perfect timing. Um, and as the disciples, of course, that the main meaning there was the writing of scripture, like everything that they had seen and heard and observed, um, and even what they were going to say, all of that is uh, by the Spirit. But w when it comes to when to approach somebody, very, very helpful, because... We can all have a bad day, right? We can all have a moment where we're not walking according to what we know is true. And we might be correcting ourselves, rebuking ourselves. We're, we're crying out to the Lord inwardly, and none of, no one else knows that's going on except me and the Lord, right? So we want to be gracious and not, again, this is the mindset of, am I going to just think I need to put out every fire? Right, that's, that was my problem. I used, my mother used to call Holy Ghost Junior. God doesn't need a fourth member of the Trinity. Uh, God got it. But I felt like I had to correct everything and anything I saw wrong, I had to go after. Well, wait, do I believe that the Spirit of God moves in the people of God? Do I believe the promises of God that he will bear fruit? That these people, so, you, you know, th there's, a, there's a subjective nature to this where you give time 
are you even praying for these people? Right? I mean, you see them doing this, and is the first reaction, I'm going to come at you? Or is it, whoa, let me pray? So thankfully, there's not a, okay, when they do this, this many times, go, right? Because we we like law, right? I mean, that's how we're built. But we want to walk according to the spirit, which is walking according to the word and staying in close contact with the Lord. When is the best time for me to do this, Lord? And as we're examining my heart, maybe, was it a wrong, was it a wrong day? Um, Is this consistent? Do I see a pattern? Have I been praying for them? Do, am I really approaching them out of love? Do I have biblical warrant for what I'm even saying? A lot of work may go into this. But again, there may be times when it's so outlandish. I mean, you see somebody smack their child in the face. You don't need to necessarily say, well, let me pray about it for a couple of weeks before. I... No, that's wrong. That is wrong. You should not be smacking anybody in the face. That's not a good thing. Um, so, again, there, 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 there is going to be some... Um, and you say, how can you say that? Well, because remember what Jesus said, that if someone smacks you in the face, he was not saying that that was a good thing. He was painting that as this is something that is very insulting and degrading and disrespectful. And if someone does that to you, turn the other cheek to them. He wasn't commending the smacking at all. So that's why I say we shouldn't be smacking people in the face. Um, yeah. So. Uh, okay. But that's a good point, right? The, the spirit could be convicting you, saying you should say something, and the same spirit could be saying, don't say anything yet. And that's why we want to be in constant prayer, walking with the Lord, abiding in Him, so that we know what it is to do. And if we're walking with the people, that really helps, right? If we're living life together as much as we can, then we're aware of people and what they're going through. I mean, what if this was like the worst week of their life? You know, did someone just die? Have they, I mean, have, are they just in a really stressful situation? And maybe what you're seeing is not who they really are, but they're just not handling this difficulty in the best way. That may, that may affect how we approach them. Um, but you're right. If, you, know, you don't want to quiet the conviction of the spirit. And when the spirit leads you, you want to obey. Sister. Sure. I mean, I, I do understand what you're saying, and it's, it's true. Like, let the spirit lead you on, on when to go. Um, but I, I had a similar conversation years back with someone where I'm like, you know, you're telling me that 
Now, excellent. So that says, and that, I'm, I'm so very thankful that you brought that up because I forgot that. And so, uh-huh, the Lord is talking about anger, right, and murder. And he says this, this is Matthew 5, 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, not you have something against them, you're aware that someone has something against you, don't let it linger. Go to them. I offended you. Right? So the, the, the command is, okay, if I wrong you, don't let the sun go down. Let me work that out. And if you've wronged me, same thing. We want to work that out. Uh, you don't want to let people stay angry with you because Jesus gives the strong warnings that if you let that anger, it will lead into murder and the murderers go to hell. So for the sake of love, don't let people stay angry with you because the devil comes and will do great damage to the soul of that person. Uh, so in that context, yeah, you know somebody's mad at you, there's a conflict, and you know someone's upset at you, you don't got to wait for them to come to you. Jesus says, go to them. Make peace. As much as it depends on you, go to make peace with them. Um, That's legalism. And so it's, it's kind of difficult because um, we have Romans 13. There, there is some of this that happens. If someone takes their conviction and puts them on you. Right. And yet, um, people use it to reject all, form, all kinds of abuse. Right. So for the one that's coming, we have to examine ourselves and say, am I being legalistic here? Am I putting my convictions on someone else? Is this an area where there's freedom, liberty of the conscience? But if not, if you're bringing what God's word says, it's kind of like, I, heard, I think I heard uh, Paul Washer say this, you know, he reads the verse to someone and say, I don't agree with your interpretation. He said, I didn't interpret it, I just read it. So when you bring God's word to them and say, thus says the Lord, like I was saying in the, in the Proverbs, there's really not much need for expounding. So if they disagree, they're disagreeing with what God says. This is why we got to make sure that our bringing is filled with scripture. Now, if you're on the other side of that and you pull up the legalist card, it's very important that you understand what legalism is. That's one, trying to be made righteous by what you do, by law keeping. That's wrong. The other is where you say there's a law where there is no law. You make up your own law. You make up your own standard. And then you seek to put that on other people so that they can become more accepted to God. If that's not what this person is doing, then you are not uh, diagnosing that correctly. It's not legalism. And if you're in the habit of calling people legalists, uh, you want to be very careful about doing that because what you may be doing to quote the proverb, is being stupid because <laughs> you're rejecting correction 
uh, to the detriment of your own soul and your growth. Smacking is okay and, and hating. <laughs> for, 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 for that, I would, I would just quote, you know, Colossians, the um, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, lest they become discouraged. And if you've ever been smacked in the face, just apply it to someone else, right? Love others the way you would want to be loved. Anyone want to be smacked? All right, then don't smack others. Real simple, you know, gospel. Um, but but th- th- that's a very good point. And so if, if you can't wrap your arms around a verse uh, with explicit, it says, thou shalt not, for example. Is there a principle there? And, but the... Where's the relationship? Because if there's a relationship and you see into this person's life, then you're going to have a better view, a vantage point of, is this a, is this a lifestyle of unloving behavior? Because it could be, again, you know, there's different couples and different families and they have different ways of doing things and like, okay, I wouldn't do it that way, but if that's how you all get down and... Um, there was a, for example, there was a family, and the the the, the house was just kind of nasty, not really clean and stuff. And the pastor was coming to the man, and and he wanted to correct the wife, like, "Hey, you're not keeping up the home of your husband." And she said, "Well, my husband's fine with this." And he's like, "Yeah, I'm fine with this." So it looks on the surface like rebellion, she's not being submissive, but actually they're fine with that. Now that doesn't mean there's not more instruction and more shepherding that needs to happen about what the, God, the Word of God says about taking care of the things that you've been given, etc. But that can be something that looks a certain way, but once we get closer to the family, we can see, oh, okay, it just looks that way, but it's not that way. Um, but again, it's, when you're dealing with people it's not as black and white sometimes. Sometimes there are these gray areas of how people operate. And again, I'm thinking if we can't go to a verse explicitly, then we are starting to get into the gray area. We have had times as elders, San Antonio, where we have sat at the table discussing a certain matter, a certain person say, we can't get our arms around what he's doing, but it feels like he's doing something wrong. Well, what do you do? Well, you can't go on a hunch, right? You can't discipline someone for a feeling. If we don't have scripture, uh, Vodi Bauckham in his book, um, Family Shepherd, he, he has this quote in there where it says something to the degree of, 
Um, if God has not said he's upset about it, then why are you so upset about it? Is it that your standard is higher than God's? And whoa, don't we do that, right? We have all these cultural, family, preference, whatever, and we can say, this is law. And God's like, I ain't. Last, last story, because I know we're getting past time. Um, and it's on the internet, so I'm not telling the story. That's secret. Pastor Tim, I love this story. Him and his wife, they're driving somewhere down this dark road, and uh, Ruby's driving, and she hit a cow. And Tim says this. He said, was I angry with her? He said, you better believe I was angry. He said, but was God angry with her? Not a bit. We do that. So does God say this is important enough to bring about a response like I'm bringing? If not, it may just be my feelings, my preferences, my opinions. And we can dialogue about that if we have relationship. Hey, this is what I feel. This is my thought. What do you think about that? But if it's not clear cut scripture, then we're dealing with a gray area. It's really good. I, I want to continue, but we're past the hour, 10 minutes. Um, but you never asked me anything. Yeah, Go I ahead. Uh, very good. Casey, you didn't ask you to ask your question. Um, you want to whet our appetites and just hear what the question is? Well, no, it was on a different topic, but I'll, I'll put it since you put me on the side. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, brother. That's a good note to end on. How about this? We'll pray, and then when we open up the service, I'll, I'll let you say what you want to say. Okay. okay. I want to mention, in case someone has to go to the bathroom or kids. And um, uh, Father, thank you for 
your help. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you correct us with your spirit and your word and your son and your people. Help us to be the kind of people who are easy to correct. And may we be the kind of people who people love to be corrected by. In Jesus' name, amen.